This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, August 26, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. After a recent Supreme Court decision, many businesses are now engaging in price fixing. So how is it possible that consumers can benefit from a world in which businesses might be charging higher prices than they otherwise would prefer? Tom Fiery, managing editor of Regulation Magazine, comments. Back in 1911, the Supreme Court ruled that any sort of a uh, an arrangement where a wholesaler or a producer of some good sets a minimum price for retailers is per se illegal. That is, courts should rule that it's illegal and a violation of the Sher- Sherman Antitrust Act, you know, regardless of any circumstances. Last year, the court reversed that decision. It didn't say that all such uh, arrangements are legal. It instead said the courts have to rule on each case uh, on the merits of that case. They have to use rule of reason to try to decide whether it's a consumer beneficial arrangement or a harmful uh, arrangement for consumers. And in this case, the the court was on very good grounds. Uh, Starting in the 1960s, the University of Chicago economists uh, began finding instances where some sort of a minimum price for could be beneficial to consumers in certain circumstances. And so basically what the Supreme Court ruled is you have to find out if this particular case that has been brought to trial is a case where uh, the minimum price floor ultimately works to, to the benefit of consumers or if it works to their to their detriment. Now, what are, give me an example of where uh, retailers being forced to charge presumably a higher price than they might otherwise want to charge for a product actually benefits consumers. The classic example that was brought up by the Chicago economists is a case where it's a high-end product, something uh, that consumers would want a lot of salesman expertise in their trying to decide what to buy. Uh, and how to set it up. So think of an, of a television set. And a lot of times when you hear situations like this, it is consumer electronics that they're talking about. You know, you're, you're looking to buy a flat panel TV. Do you want plasma? Do you want LCD? Do you want one of the, the uh, other technologies that are out there? Do you want 42-inch, 50-inch? Do you want 720p? Do you want 1080i? All these permutations, what's a good brand, what's not a good brand, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, in my case, I read a lot of consumer reports, but what a lot of con- uh, consumers like to do is they like to go to a high-end electronics store. Uh, here in the D.C. area, we have one called Tweeter, and there are a few others around as well. And, you know, you, you get all the information you can from the salesman, then you go across the street to Walmart and you actually buy the TV. The high-end makers of these uh, products see this going on. They believe their product is of such quality that they want consumers to consult and get good expert salesmen to help them uh, understand the product. So they don't want people cheating and, and doing the tweeter to, to Walmart jump because then that means tweeters will disappear. Um, so those firms started saying, we want to set a minimum price so that Walmart can't so undercut tweeter that, um, that, uh, you know, that we then lose our tweeters when we lose that expertise. And now keep in mind, I'm a huge uh, free market advocate, a huge supporter of competition, especially price competition. But I also believe that there's competition in matters of quality. And I, I support some manufacturers and some wholesalers saying our product is such that we would rather sell under this sort of model and then let the market figure it out. More dramatically now, there is uh, online 
there are online retailers selling products. You might go to a brick-and-mortar store to handle the product and actually see it in action and then go online to buy it. That certainly is the case. Again, I'm a big uh, big user of buy.com, and, uh, and I definitely will look at products in stores and then go home to my computer and, and sign on to one of the websites and do that. And so I guess I'm contributing to this problem. But, uh, you know, again, firms, I, should, I think, should be allowed to set minimum prices if they believe that's in their best interest. If it's not in their best interest, they'll get disciplined for it. And there was a, a story in the Wall Street Journal where this happened that a, a pet food store uh, got into a minimum price fight with a pet food manufacturer. And the store said, okay, then we're deliberately going to drive our customers away from your product and we're going to place advertising against your product right outside our store. And they did that and they, they disciplined the manufacturer. I think that's fine as well. You know, how likely is that type of uh, discipline on a producer of a product to be exerted? It probably depends a lot on the product. If it's uh, a Sony or a Toshiba that really wants to push the quality of its of its electronics, uh, they're willing to take the the pain of the discipline because they believe it's important for them to get in those high end stores. If you're a, a, San, a Sanyo or a Panasonic that makes a, a or probably a better example is like a, a Vizio or an Olivia who makes a good product at a very good price then you're probably not even going to sign uh, these minimum price contracts to begin with because your your you know your sales mantra is we make a good TV at a darn good price. Tom Fiery is managing editor of Regulation magazine. This is the Cato Daily podcast. You can read the latest edition of Regulation at our website, cato.org.